if you've ever listened to a podcast or read one of my books and thought, I wish I knew if that was the right thing for my body, or how could I make that work with my schedule and responsibilities, I've got something for you. A new workbook by me coming out late spring. My Perfect Movement Plan, the Move Your DNA all-day workbook, is for your specific situation because you are going to finish writing it. When you're finished, you will have a guide to a personalized movement diet that nourishes your body in the ways that you need it to. My Perfect Movement Plan is available for pre-order now, and if you pre-order from the publisher, there's a bonus, a free ticket to an upcoming online workshop, Spot the Missing Micronutrients. It's a 90-minute class where you'll learn about five often missing movement micronutrients, and these are subtle movements of the body. In this case, we'll be looking in the shoulders and the hips and the feet that are often tied to pain or injury in those areas. In this workshop, I'll also show you how to supplement with exercise vitamins. I'm putting air quotes around vitamins and how to adjust your regular movement so exercise supplementation isn't as necessary. Pre-order now at mpmpbook.com. That's my perfect movement plan, mpmpbook.com. And you'll automatically receive a bonus class ticket. But wait, there's more. Um, I'm going to be drawing three names from these pre-orders and these peeps are going to get a small group session with me to go over your perfect movement plan. So you can ask me questions and we'll brainstorm your specific situation on a Zoom call together. I cannot wait. So head over to mpmpbook.com for all the details on the book and the bonuses. Read through the frequently asked questions, order the book, get the class, and then get moving. I'm so excited to share this workbook. It's the missing puzzle piece you've been waiting for, and it's so very actionable. This is Katie B, and you are about to listen to an early episode of my podcast. Now the show is called The Move Your DNA Podcast, and you can find all episode transcripts and the show notes to this episode at nutritiousmovement.com slash podcast. Enjoy. Well, hey there, welcome to the Katie Says Podcast. This is the sixth in this series of special episodes that we call Between the Lines, where Katie Bowman and Stephanie Domat explore the deeper messages in and connections between Katie's books. I am Katie Bowman, a biomechanist and author of Move Your DNA. And I am Stephanie Domat, a chronically curious writer and radio journalist. Well, Katie, here we are. Summer is dwindling away. Kids who go back to school are back there now. My calendar still shows a week of summer left here in the Northern Hemisphere, uh, but your social media break, which happened over the summer, is coming to an end or has come to an end. What were some of the highlights of the season for you? I think seeing, I mean, awareness again of just how much of my life was processed through social media. I, I wrote some letters. Mm. <laughs> I I read some books, which I haven't done. I read a lot. Yeah. But to sit and have this like book with stories, I did that. And I haven't done that probably in a year. Nice. And so that was great. I felt like I had a lot, a lot more time. And it was, I mean, overall, it was a great summer. Again, though, it was like a work intensive summer because I was busy like figuring out ways to get things done. And I'm also preparing. I'm going to New Zealand for two mm -hmm. months. And so that was a lot of, 
introduced work. So it was just, I mean, I've been thinking a lot about this idea in the the Bhagavad Gita, which is in Eastern Indian text. And at the crux of it is you're entitled to the labor, but no fruits from the labor. Mm. And that, and that is like really just sat with me heavily. It's like, okay, there's always work. There's no getting rid of the work or whatnot. So I've been, I've been relishing in the work. I've done Mm. a lot. If you've been, do you get our nutritious movement newsletters where I've been sending out some pictures of what we've been doing? I've been doing a lot of, yeah, a lot of work, a lot of harvesting, a lot of processing in novel ways. And I'm certainly a complete novice in no way, even like I'm just dipping my toe into this idea of less outsourcing. You know uh, what I mean? Like I can write a book on taking it. Taking more of the the labor to yourself. Yes. And it's intention full. Like I'm, I'm full of intention and like a thimble drop full of skill. <laughs> it's not a bad ratio. <laughs> no. I mean, hey, you got to start somewhere and and learning and, and enjoying it, enjoying the labor, feeling like, okay, the labor is what I'm owed, but nothing else. And so, yeah, that's that's like, that's what my summer has been all about. Wow, that is pretty profound. Did, and did you say earlier you wrote some letters? Like you wrote them Like hand wrote, hand? like on a piece of paper like your grandma used to do, like my grandma still does. And little things, you know, you get my grandma still sends me things. And, you know, it's easy for me to call her back. But to go, you know what? I forgot how great it is to get mail and to see you know, like kids getting mail. So just, just pop in a few cards out there. And <laughs> nice. you know what? Also... The crap in my house related to this, I shouldn't use the word crap, like related to my job, like the stacks of books, the stacks yeah. of books in other languages, galleys, like, like what am I supposed to do with it? I have mm. got all of these books and I feel like, why would a book sit in my house? Like, why would seven copies of a book sit in my house? I can't read it seven times. And if I could, I'm not going to read seven different versions. So like trying to figure out like, how do I distribute these to the community and like figuring out where to where to donate them and and how to dis, how to dispense them in a meaningful way and that adds work but in the end that work you know gets information to people so I'm like happy to do it but yeah just like just a lot of that kind of logistics so popping things in the mail going oh hey and by the way here's a copy of this book you know so <laughs> you know so I'm just sending things I send so many. Does anyone else do this? Or maybe do you, since no one can answer a romper room. It's just you and me here. Do you send like cards and gifts in your mind? Like, oh, I'm going to do this. Yes. Like, so uh, those don't come to fruition. They say it's the thought that counts. Though. That's what they say. Mm. But also sometimes maybe the labor counts as well. Like the, <laughs> the physical right. <laughs> actually doing it. So I've been trying to do it a little bit more and, and setting a space. I remember my stepmom used to sit in front of, she would watch MASH and she would write. Like she had a legal pad of paper and she would write. And I just remember her writing and writing and writing. Every night she would sit down to write, you know, much like I would sit down and look through Instagram. Mm. And then my older siblings would say she was writing her sister, but she would write her sister over the course of a week. Oh, I love it. And then pop it into the mail. So the letter was comprised of what happened each day. And her sister was doing the same thing. And then they would swap. Oh. And they could totally call. I mean, it's, yeah. but it, but it's a different, it's a different type of connection. It's a, 
I mean, all these things that we like, you know, uh, books, this is how it relates to books yeah. and were and, and written text. Like we go back to written texts for historical perspectives. And so there's a difference between oral communication and written communication. And I'm not like, I don't know if one's better than the other. Certainly written is more open to interpretation by other people where oral lands on the audience that it was intended for mm-hmm. oftentimes, mm-hmm. you know. But there was just a different quality to it. And fidget spinners, like I just came to learn what a fidget spinner is, only to realize that it's a thing that everyone else knows except for me. Right. Well, you weren't on social media all summer. So that's how that's how that got by you. It may be. But even like my kids didn't even know what they were. And then they went to a birthday party where everyone else had them. And like, we have to have fidget spinners. And I was like, what is this thing? And then I love fidget spinners. You know, someone handed me one and... My version of a fidget spinner used to be this eagle plastic toy that balances on your finger no matter what. Its density is different to make balancing really easy. And I and I was like, oh, but this is just this is just a way. It's like you have hunger and you could put a whole variety of foods of different nutritional quality to turn off that hunger signal where the fidget spinner just turns off this like need to move your hands and keep uh-huh. them going. And and as I'm walking, you know, I'm like doing cordage. I'm like practicing all these skills. It's like, this is all fidget spinning. Right. Like someone has identified, you know, maybe adornment, which we've talked about on various podcasts before, whether you or I or Danny. It's like a need. It's a need to keep your hands busy. But in the absence of any of any conversion to a thing, like we're now just grabbing something, you know, as a like destined just for the rubbish. Yeah to break, you know, just like, just to keep ourselves busy. So like trying to introduce, to meet our need to fidget with something that has a payoff that's broader than only fidgeting. Right. So thinking about, you know, writing those letters, like there's, yes, you know, the difference in, in calling maybe is that there's an opportunity, there's something in it for the writer as well. You encounter yourself in a different way, or at least that's my experience as a writer. You know, when I am on the page with with words and my hand moving across a piece of paper, I'm writing to whoever I'm writing to, but I'm also writing to myself. I'm encountering myself there too. Sure. And there's something really deep about that. Yeah. So if like it's like thinking of like, oh, this would be quelled or squelched by a fidget spinner, this thing that I'm doing. And so I've been thinking about swiping mm-hmm. as the grown-up version of a fidget spinner. It's a yes, static. Katie Bowman, yes. And so it's like, oh, so we're all fidget spinning. Which is hilarious. We have a verb now. <laughs> so like just this idea of like, oh, I'm I'm fidget spinning too onto something equally destined for the garbage can. Like I, so it's just been, it's motivating. It's again, it's a move your DNA, movement matters moment for me to recognize, oh, okay, this is like, I'm only working on myself. Everyone like, everyone is, is doing their own thing. And so I guess for me, it's helpful for me to observe, to go, oh, okay. Here we go. I can call it a different word to give it a different context, which helps me then change the parts of me that I'm willing to change at this time. So that's my summer in a fidget spinner. Goodness me. You do go deep when you go. (laughs) (laughs) As for me, as we're kind of standing here, you know, with our, our toes just getting wet. In September, I think of September as the true new year. My, my birthday mm-hmm. comes at the end of August. So for me, it actually like literally is the new year. Obviously. But, um, <laughs> obviously. But, you know, I haven't, I haven't gone back to school for 
Oh boy, more than a quarter century now. But still, September makes me want to sharpen my pencils and change my lazy ways. Do you do you feel that? or? Yeah. yeah. I mean, I don't think that, that our academic system that we participated in works for everyone, but it worked for me. I loved it. I flourished in that. And I don't know if it was you and I were talking about it or maybe in, a, in our, a larger work group, but like the idea that back to school is really like the new year's resolution time. Mm-hmm. Like it's at least, mm-hmm. at least it is for it's like fresh start. You're going to go to school. You're a new Clean per- slate. You're a new haircut, new personality. Yeah. You know, you can try, you're going to get a little corduroy jumper. You just hope that your new stonewashed jeans and your silver <laughs> LA gears are going to change who you are to some fundamental level. And it never does. And then at the end no, you go, you're just your nerdy. Self. Well, in the end you were great the whole time. It didn't matter what you put on it, but it took, you know, 40 years <laughs> to get to that (laughs) place, you know, like it's hopeful and, and it is a slate. It's like, it's like a, you're out. It's, I think for certainly for children, but I mean, once you're like within children in your own home, like the summer is a very different landscape Mm -hmm. than fall just in terms of everyday behavior. So it just, where I don't know if the same is true between December and January, right? Like it's, that's our new year time because it lines up with a Gregorian calendar, but you've changed, you grew, all these things are different during the summer. And then you come into fall and you're like, what is my intention? So it's like the new year. So I definitely, just like I would get out the college schedule to like nerd out on what my life was going to be like, you know, it's, (laughs) yes, this is the new year. This is it. This is, if I were making a calendar, it would, it would start now. Yeah. It's also the time when, you know, grownups who've been outside all summer, or maybe also coming back from vacation, mm-hmm. back to work, back to their desks, their cubicles. It's time to get serious. So I think it's appropriate that this is the week that we're going to talk about don't just sit there right. in this episode of yes, the podcast. Yes, 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 yes. So great. Tell me a little bit about how this book came to be. This book was like written right after Movie or DNA, like six weeks after. And I wrote it because Mark Sisson, who is a, he's kind of a, a big paleo icon and has primal blueprint is his big book. He wanted me to write, like, how would you apply movie or DNA to office workers? The request was more, I mean, it was a few years ago, but it was like, how do we get people who, who are really like, if we're all in kind of a cultural box, their box is more literal for eight hours a day. You know, everyone has different work setups, but when you walk into that cubicle, kind of the orca in the tank, like you feel it more than maybe someone who is like, I work from home so I can work in this room or this room. Like your physical freedom is even less. So I think when you have a smaller office within a building within your life. And so it was a question like, is it really even possible for this person to add more movement to which I was like, certainly, but it's hard to ask someone I would think in that situation to come up with those ways to derive the plan from these broader ideas, like just switch how you move throughout the day when you feel like your landscape is tiny. And so it's just that it's a tiny book about how to apply. I would say it's a, it's a very practical book. It's just a book Mm -hmm. on, you know, transitioning to minimal footwear had a really specific agenda. Don't just sit there as transitioning to a dynamic workstation, not just the standing workstation. And similarly, how I wrote Whole Body Barefoot, really to put out, I would say, a more robust argument to the, hey, barefoot's natural, shoes are not, so go barefoot. I was like, 
okay, well, there is more to the argument than that. At the time that Move Your DNA came out, which is like 2014, was right in that 2012, 2014, where all of this sitting as a new smoking yes. literature and and headlines were coming out. So like everyone's like, standing workstation, like desks are unnatural, standing's natural, stand. You know, it's like, oh, okay, hold on. So I wanted a more, I wanted a place to put a more robust argument. Simply that, you know, standing and sitting are just both static. And when you looked at the literature for sitting, they hadn't delineated the difference between sitting and sedentary, which is unmoving Mm -hmm. despite the position. A little bit more has come out since then. But at that point, it was simply that these are what's associated with sitting. And we hadn't broken up whether or not it was the sedentarism or the fact that your position was unchanging or if it was, in fact, the position of sitting in a chair I brought that up in Move Your DNA and said, it's likely both. But they're kind of separate. But they're separate. Yeah. They're separate. And so before we go out and spend $2,000 making our office over to a standing office or telling schools that they all need to get thousands of dollars of like standing desks, let, let's just think critically for a moment. So don't just sit there as that pause to say, what's actually happening and, and how, and then also just like whole body barefoot. I mean, it's basically whole body barefoot, but applied to your office. It's like, there's like these small transitional steps, this idea that you can adjust your body a little bit within the shoes slash office that you already have. You know, you don't, you do not have to go out and spend a lot of money making things over. I'm always trying to be really conscious of that. This information is accessible to anyone, you know, who can source a few items like a crate or whatever, you know, Mm -hmm. like that you, that you can have this too. It is not a consumer based argument, right? Like I don't want to, being a driving force to consuming more is the opposite to the direction I want to go. Although recognizing that for some, like a new product makes the habit easier, which is fine, but I certainly don't want it to be perceived or even like require that you buy a bunch of new stuff. Right, because so, at the end of the book, you do offer this kind of long list of products, like keyboards and lights, software, totally. lumbar pillows, to help totally. make your workspace more dynamic. So you're saying that's an option, but it's not a requirement. Well, it's not a requirement, but there'll be some person, there'll be someone who will say, when you're working with a very diverse audience, you get HR departments contacting you, like, well, then what should we be supplying our people with? You have people who are like, I can't have a crate in my office. I have the budget for this. And then there's like, re- there are like really innovative things. Like the thing that I thought was the best was a keyboard that splits in half so that you could use your shoulder joints at all sorts of different rotations. Totally not feasible for most people to, you know, to have, to, to make everything in their office as malleable as possible. But for some person out there, a key piece could make the difference. And so I just wanted to, and it's also kind of, I think to highlight the market to say, these ideas are permeating the market as a way to kind of show sometimes the rigidity of the current infrastructure. You know Mm -hmm. what I mean? Like we all have the same chair. The schools all have the same desk. Schools have a, a much stiffer budget, I would say. But if for a lot of offices or whatnot, they all kind of look the same as they did 60 years ago. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, we're trying to all come up with different heights. And then sometimes a product is nice to kind of highlight what it is that I mean. Right. 
which is like if your keyboard is always in front of you, if you put your hands on your fake keyboard, that's one shoulder position all the time, meaning to use a keyboard casts your shoulders. So if you have a keyboard that is two parts that you can put at whatever width that you want, now you have a keyboard that allows for 50 different variations if you scoot it tiny bits at a time. And if you only do it two or three, three different ones. So if you're dealing with a frozen shoulder or you feel like you can't be productive in the workplace because of your particular shoulder or elbow or wrist means that the conventional workspace doesn't work for you, there are options. So it's just, a, it's a way of, like I think, per, but I like to present as robustly as possible all the way from a DIY to here's all the market pieces. And, and as well as this idea that you might not have to have this same work structure. I like to put that idea out as well, which is a little bit radical, I think, sometimes. And I throw that in at the last sentence and don't just sit there as like, is your job working for you? Because I think mm-hmm. we, we perceive that we are unable to change jobs. And certainly the luxury of being able to swap jobs is dependent on many, many factors. But it's nice to think of that as malleable too. Right. And we're going to get to that, but I, I think we'll do, we'll take the same approach in this conversation that you would take in writing about it. And we'll kind of sneak up on it. For now, I want to I want to flash back to the lightning round we did in our very first episode together. You remember that? Our word association quiz? I think I've blocked it, but hit you, me. <laughs> you were pretty worried about it in the moment. But I mean, you did pass with flying colors. Thank you. I, okay. I said the names of each of your books, and then you blurted out the first thing that came to mind. And when I said, don't just sit there, you kind of shouted, get up. Oh, right. Okay. Yes. Is it in some ways as simple as that? Yeah. I mean, I feel... Chairs are really, really prevalent, not only in the workspace, but all the time. But like, just get out of your chair. Do do something different. I mean, just even if you sit right back down again, at least you got up. Like that's one squat for you. Hey, so, so yes, yes. I think the chair is like sucking <laughs> the the movement potential out of your body. So just. Just get out of it. And it's not to say that you can't rest, but maybe rest in some other way. If you could change your chair relationship, it would be huge for you. But at the same time, don't just stand there either. Absolutely. That's not really movement. You know, at the end of the day, getting into a standing position once is just another sedentary position. So so stand up, yes. And then, and then because it's a dynamic workstation, do something after you've stood up. Like what? Like pay attention to where you're carrying your weight on your feet. Is it only on one? Is it on two? Maybe put it between the two. Does it go forward? Does it go back? Can it go right, forward, left, back? And you go the other way. Like, can you, so standing is like a category. We think of standing as simply like only the feet, only the soles of the feet are in contact, but I could come up with, and you could come with me, 30 different things to be doing while you're just standing there that would make it so that you're not just standing there. You know what I mean? So don't just, I guess it's a mindful thing. Don't just stand up and then stop thinking about your movement for the day. Standing up is the point at which you start thinking about it. And that's critical for standing desk users, which is really a key component to don't just sit there, which is like, you can't just stand up. You have to be mindful of what you're doing when you're there. So Part of what comes into play with this book, and it's something that you, that you dig much more deeply into in Movement Matters, I think, is movement is is countercultural. 
You know, there's something that we're learning in school about sitting still in our seats, conforming to the tidy rows of bodies at desks. And that's something that we have to work really hard to shake as adults. Um, I feel like this message is, is under the surface of this book on every page. Can you, can you talk more about the idea of movement, especially in an office setting, as being countercultural? Yeah, and I think, I think that's also part of the motivator for writing the book, because everyone's like, I would love to do more, but frankly, I'm going to be an outlier in the office. And, and so movement is counterculture is this idea that, I mean, I, now keep in mind that I can put anything under the movement bubble, <laughs> even your shoes, right? A shoe choice. So we're always back to the feet. All roads point back to the feet. The idea of switching your shoe in whole body barefoot, like this idea to go towards a minimal shoe, a big response to that is, but my shoes don't look professional. Uh-huh. You know what I mean? So like that would actually, and there was so many just to go back to tie it to, to tie whole body barefoot to don't just sit there. When, when all these standing desk products came out on the market, the people using them, like there are these women in the videos wearing three to four inch high heels. And I'm like, those high heels were bad enough for you when you like had to walk the quarter mile, you know, like into your office to then sit down in them. Now this is implying that you're supposed to stand in them for seven hours a day, which is, of course, going to shape you way differently than if you just wore them into the office and sat down. And I got a ton of questions. I mean, as crazy as these things seem, I was like, oh, that seems like such a random thought. I get heaps of emails to just that, which is like, everyone in my office is uncomfortable when I choose to stand up or, you know, if if I go to a meeting and want to not sit, like my ability to hear isn't dependent on my butt, like being in a closing chair. a circuit in a chair, yeah. but now you're hovering, you're awkward. And maybe just that you're different. You're just doing something differently. And in a workspace, you're trying to stand out. I imagine for many people trying to achieve or, or publish or get accounts or like all my, all my work models are like eighties movies right now. You're basically <laughs> trying to get the ad campaign. <laughs> Doesn't everyone work in an advertising executive office? Like that's I all I know so. about office culture in New York. I feel City. that your self-employed status is showing hard here right I know, now. I know, I know, <laughs> I know. So like, I, you always have to keep that in mind. But but I read a lot, and in, in Movement Matters, I, I use an article that this woman had written about other people using standing desks and how she felt that they were like lording how healthy they <laughs> were over her, mm-hmm. and was just like, just sit down already. So, okay, that's what I mean by counterculture. This person, like this person standing doesn't really affect you. Like, meaning like they're not, they're not affecting how many words you type per minute. I don't know if there could be any really, really literal impact that their pursuit of how they want to, like their choice of how they want to use their body really impacts you. But we perceive it does so hard that now... I mean, this woman, this woman was writing an article about it and, and publishing it about like, it's a distaste for someone else trying to be healthy yeah, or trying to do something. Cause in her, in her mind, it's done smugly. It's done with condesa- condescension of her choice to sit like that is a reality. And it's, I think it's in, it's in schools, it's in parenting, it's in friendships, it's in everything. Like we have a sedentary culture. And so if you choose simply to move more, 
your behavior is threatening other people. It's perceived as a, a judgment, perhaps. Yeah. I mean, yes, but like, like met with vitriol. Right. Like I, I, I find this phenomenon very interesting where, and I, we just got done with a res training. So we have people who are in a law training who are here and we're talking about that. And, you know, they're like, why two books on shoes? You know, why, why are we starting with the feet? Why, why are they that important? And I'm like, this is mm. all to help direct a sedentary culture out of sedentarism. But when a cult, any aspect of a culture changes, the rest of the culture is like, you know, like reactionary. And I was like, I find it very interesting at the vitriol that comes with something as benign as footwear, like that that is such a mainstay of the culture, every part that when you start toggling with what shoes I choose to wear that have absolutely no effect on you, at least physically, unless you read some things and people are like, I'm disgusted. Okay. Now they have all of the chemicals of disgust running through their body because of what I put on my feet that I think that's important to understand. And so when, when people are spewing acid on each other about what they're putting on their feet and what's acceptable, how are we to do other things like getting, you know, like saying that kids could move more during the school day or other things that all, you know, that scientific literature would be like, yes, great. We need this. Da, 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 da. But the culture is like, Bleh. so movement is counterculture is real. What keeps you sedentary is the pressure. I think to, to not have that vitriol come towards you mm-hmm. or sometimes it's like, I just don't like the way they look. And, but when you dial it down, it's like, like, I feel unattractive. Like, well, where does that come from? Like other people are judging me as not my outfit doesn't look put together. I'm not going to get promoted real consequences for certain. So I was like, okay, well, can I write a book then that helps people go as low profile as they want, as they feel comfortable doing so that we can kind of eke out mm-hmm. more movement. I mean, I guess in the end, that's always my end goal is to, is to help people who want to move more, have strategies to be able to do it. It's like all my books are are a sedentary life exit strategy <laughs> in, 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 in small little bits. So don't just sit there. It's got really simple stuff like, okay, just sit differently. Don't ditch the chair, keep the shoes, keep the office. Don't do anything else. But like, hopefully you have enough sovereignty over the position of your pelvis in your chair. Go. Yeah. Okay. But, but you also in this book, as you mentioned earlier, you do not shy away from the idea that that work as we currently know it is, is probably killing us probably. Right. Well, it's, it's certainly making you sedentary. Yeah. So I don't really shy away from ideas because, you know, the book is just a, a conversation between the author and the reader. Like I'm not, I'm not out there, you know, at, I'm, I don't even know. Like, is there a place where corporations all come together to discuss <laughs> what's going on in the office? No, but I mean, like, I'm not even trying to have giant conversations with the world. I write my ideas down in a book and the person who picks it up receives them. So it's a conversation to say, here's some things to consider. Your pelvis can be in a different position. Your rib cage can be in a different position. Your arms, here's the position that they're in 99% of the time. Here's some things that it links to. Hey, your office setup is affecting those things. You know, I, I'm just kind of showing how it works. Mm-hmm. And that's the lovely thing about introducing ideas is the receiver can choose to do what they want to do about them. So what I try to do is a scale, right? You can adjust your pelvis 
or you can quit your job. And, <laughs> and you know, like, <laughs> my intention is never to get people to quit their jobs. My intention is to highlight, I think, the choices we make on a regular basis. Mm. I think I talked about this at the end of my social media break. It's not, again, to have everyone else go on a social media break. It's simply to kind of keep noting that there are choices, that there are freedoms that we have. And movement movement sovereignty is something that I, like if I had to have a, a key passion, movement sovereignty would be kind of a very large umbrella for this idea that we are slowly losing movement sovereignty. And this is I don't think I use those words anywhere within movement matters, but it's another set of ter- another set of words that kind of help to say we have to stay aware to it, you know. So, you know how walkable how walkable are your cities? Like we're looking at a, a structure, like we're trying to evaluate society, the costs and benefits of it, and mm-hmm. I don't think there's a lot of talk about the the movement aspects of our society, how those movement aspects have changed dramatically, how they're continuing to change even more towards sedentarism and how, how, how the loss of the movements are relating to these other problems, but we're not noticing the linkage between the two. So like, there's just a society and here's just the problem with humans. It's like, not humans, humans within this particular structure and here's the sedentarism so that we can start, you know, there's a definitely a trend towards normalizing how humans in this structure are. And it's only recently that we've started to compare ourselves to other humans and to say, okay, not a human condition, humans in this particular structure, the next step, you know, for some is to go, okay, so if we know that these are basically symptoms of this particular structure, how do we change the structure? So this has been happening in education for a long time, I would say, not the movement part, but going, hey, this system doesn't work for everybody. Here are some other options. Same thing with work uh, or the you know office setting. It's like, hey, there might be other ways of getting work done, but changing infrastructure is tough. So I thought, well, you could change within your infrastructure. You don't even have to change your infrastructure yet. You, you can change the infrastructure from the inside. Your body is an infrastructure. Change right. that. Right. Just start changing that, you know, and so here's 12 simple physical adjustments that you do within your infrastructure, and then you become a little bit more robust, and then I feel like you push on the infrastructure around you with a little bit more <sighs> strength. Right. Where does this book fall on the alignment matters, movement matters spectrum in your mind? Oh, gosh. Well, it's definitely... Oh, I would say that the start of the book is move your DNA. Mm-hmm. It's alignment matters. There's a lot of alignment matters. It's exercise rich. It's body nerd rich. I mean, there there are things in move your DNA that aren't in any other book. It's not like I've just kind of rewritten it. Like there's there's always new pieces there. Mm-hmm. But I do think that movement matters is that last line. Yeah. I mean, I kind of like I kind of bookended it again with movement matters. And then I also, I think another movement matters aspect of don't just sit there is the idea that ergonomics, that we've taken ergonomics, Mm -hmm. which is a science of kind of the optimal position of your body. If your uh, body has to have a 
if you put a certain set of parameters around your body, like, hey, I got to come to this office every single day for 35 years, and I'm going to be sitting in a chair like this, doing work just like this, right? So you've got a very narrow range of motion. Like, what's the best way to do that? We've taken that, and we do research on it, and then we say, okay, here's the best way to do that one movement for 35 years in the exact same way. But what's being confounded is like, oh, this is the best way to use your body, that we're taking ergonomics, which pertains to an already heavily unnatural, not optimal, known to be damaging to, you know, to various aspects of your health and say, here's how to do that best. And then forgetting all the other parts and just saying, here's the best way to use your body. That's movement. That's movement matters to me. It's a misunderstanding of that. When you collect data from a particular group, what the end result, what the application or the intention is supposed to be and confusing it with, if you read it in a research paper, that that means it's good for you, which is a very common understanding of what the scientific process is. So I think in just a few short sentences to say, that's not what ergonomics is. Mm -hmm. Like ergonomics arguably is not the best way to use your body. It's a study of work. Right. It's a brace for your floppy fin that you wouldn't have if you were in your natural habitat. It's a how to be sedentary well. Right. Ish. For a longish (laughs) time. Yeah, Yeah. But where the end result is for the economic system. Right. And, and so it, it's not what it is often presented to be. And because everyone's in it, everyone's in the fish tank where all the orca, it's very challenging to see. So I don't really dwell on it because my, my job isn't to like, my intention again, isn't to make you feel like, but I have to work great. We all work. I'm in front of a computer right now. It's that we don't lose the understanding that we don't lose the knowledge of it. We all have the choices. We all are in the society and also to recognize the benefits of our society and our systems too. It's not always criticisms is to recognize, Oh, this is what makes it great or easy. And, and it's why I have what I have. So I get to do both of those things, but it's to not start losing perspective. And then of course, it's always to eke more movement, you know, back into your body. Like maybe sure you're in your cubicle, you're in your, your veal fattening pen as they call them, but it doesn't mean you can't stretch your calves while you're, while you're in there. You don't have to be sedentary to be productive. And again, I've written a lot of books. I do a lot of work that would line up with the work of what many people listening and feel like they have to do now. Mm. I have just figured out how to stay moving while doing it. And I don't mean like that I live on a farm and I can do chicken uh, Mm. chores in between. Like if you put me in a cubicle I would still be productive and I would still stay moving. But one piece that I have, I would say, that takes development is that that I don't care. (laughs) (laughs) That I don't feel like other people, how other people feel is how they feel. Right. You're not going to sit down and be still to make other people less uncomfortable. Yeah, and, and, and I do a lot to make other people not feel uncomfortable. How other people feel is of a huge importance to me. I guess my, my overall perspective is me sitting down to make you feel better doesn't make anyone feel better. Right. Now, we're, now we're just all feeling badly together. Right. <laughs> and, and, and so I was like, okay, then I'm, I'm happy to kind of take the burden. I'm, I'm happy to take the burden of inertia on this one. Uh-huh. I'm taking the inertia for the team a little bit. 
because I appreciate when there's something that I want to do that I can't figure out how to do, I appreciate the modeling. So me, this is me kind of doing that work and, you know, I'll take the criticism, I'll take the anger, I'll take the vitriol. And I've just been become better and better at letting the vitriol. It's like, oh, vitriol is just like water and I have oil on my skin through movement. And so, yeah, so like the more I move, the better I feel and the more I feel okay with, oh, I understand, like I get it. Yeah. Or at least I think I do, which is maybe I don't get it at all. I mean, stay tuned to be determined. Exactly. Okay. I am at my standing podcast station and I am ready to work out at work. So give me a move I can do right here at my standing desk. All right. Yes. We're all standing. So the first thing is like, how, how do we, how do we stay moving while we stand? So your pelvis is your fidget spinner in this case. So you're going to, you know, shift your weight back all the way towards your heels And then you can go forward towards your toes and you go back towards your heels. You can go all the way to the right with your hips, all the way to your left with your hips. These are pretty inconspicuous. If someone was watching you, they'd be like, oh, like her back's bothering her. That's why she's moving or whatever. You Mm. can also, I I would say that when you're standing and keep in mind that people stood for labor for, and still do, we have a lot of data on people who stand all day at work. And frankly, it's different injuries and people who sit all day, but it's still kind of the same, right? You got to stay moving. But the, the part that really takes the greatest burden, I think is the lowest part of your leg, your feet and your calves, and then the, the, the veins and the things, the tissues within them. So if you can rise up onto your toes and come back down, if you can kind of think of that pumping action, then as you're standing, you're not kind of pooling pooling, P-O-O-L-I-N-G, so much blood to your lower half, right? So you oh. can you can kind of do calf raises coming up and coming down. And if you want to whole body barefoot it, you can do elevators, which are calf raises that require that you stabilize your ankle when you come up and down. So there's the general calf raise where you just go up and down, but your ankles kind of fall out away mm-hmm. from the midline and fall back in. And then you can do elevators, which means that you hold your ankles just like you would hold an elevator. So it goes straight up and straight down, not kind of falling out right into the left. Cause we're not late. We're not in a Willy Wonka factory <laughs> where you have elevators that go in all directions. So you're going to go straight up and straight down. And then, you know, you can reach one foot behind you, tuck at the top of the foot, and then you can switch. Uh, if you had a calf, if you had a ball kind of beneath your standing work desk or a dome or something where you could put the front part of your toes up and do a little calf stretch there and you switch into the other side. Now you are essentially just doing all the exercises, find in other places that you would normally do during your exercise time. You're doing them while you're also being productive. Hashtag stack your life. Exactly. Movement matters. <laughs> I think every one of our conversations has ended with you whispering movement matters. I like to whisper after a hashtag. I believe I believe it's the it's the it is the form of 2017. You hashtag and I whisper or something. <laughs> it's poetry in motion. Oh, I love it. <laughs> we have been talking about Don't Just Sit There by Katie Bowman, which you can find in paperback wherever books are sold, including at nutritiousmovement.com. Katie, here we are, mid-September. You have so much on the go this fall including a little something you're calling back to body school. Tell me a bit about that. Well, we all have to go back to school. We talked about it being like, it's a key time. So I've done a lot of 
movement matters work. Like I've really scaled up my non-exercise motion, but there are still like sedentary parts of my body that have been still for decades. And so I really love the alignment exercise component of the things that I write and the things that I produce. So I was like, I'm going to put myself through. I was, I was reading something about when you're creating systems or programs, education, whatever, that the ratio between the theory or the practice of learning versus the practice of application should be one to 30 hours. Meaning for every one hour you spend reading one of my books listening to the podcast, taking a class, whatever it is, for every one hour that you spend analyzing the words, not moving, not doing the thing that you're analyzing, but analyzing the words should be 30 hours of the actual exercises. Wow. And I was like, holy cow. And I thought, that's very interesting because I come from a paradigm that reinforces the idea that knowledge comes through basically that knowing of the thing is to like verbally demonstrate that I know it. Yeah. You test me, you quiz me, you know, like that the exchange in this case, we could just talk about movement that you would read all these things. And I would say, well, what do you think of this concept? Or what do you think of, of movement of the hips and the knees and, and, and in your performance or demonstration of it is in your verbal description that you understand it. Right. Not, not in the shape of your body, being changed by actually doing it. And so uh-huh. I was like, yes, this cool. is what's missing. What's missing is me clearly stating that it needs to be a 30 hour to one hour. And that you knowing what I'm talking about is not that you is not the knowing of the things that I say, but in knowing that by doing the things that you're doing, that you're getting the thing that you want. So it's like knowing it on that cellular body level rather than just knowing it intellectually? What is knowing movement? Like, Uh is knowing movement reciting it back or being able to actually do the movement? So we're changing knowing, and it's like the same thing with, like, what's knowing food? Is it the fact that you have a license or an RD or that you can tell me how many calories are in different grams of which macronutrients or which foods are the sources? Or if I put you on the planet you would know what's edible. Yeah, could you what's knowing yourself? food? What's yeah. knowing food? You know, so right. my idea of my understanding of knowing is starting to shift away from the purely academic words model to say, how are you actually moving? Because I could say that knowing movement could be demonstrated by physical skills. What if I put that parameter on it um, as a way of knowing? Um, in which case your practice, the way that you would engage with this would change. So I thought, okay, well, one month, an hour a day is an easy way to test the one hour of 30 hours hypothesis, which would be, (laughs) do you know more about your body moving after moving 30 hours versus listening to 30 podcasts? So back to body school is just that. It's like, okay, we're going to move every day. You're going to do these correctives and then you can you will be able to assess whether or not you have an, un, that you're, that you know them with your body, meaning that does their ability to do them become easier after a while? Does your body shape change? And then the back to body school has non-exercise, non those exercise tests to say, let's see how these exercises are informing some of your other movements that aren't these to see if the knowing kind of 
permeates. So it is a 30-day challenge to do one hour. I'm doing it as well. Fun. Yeah. So that you can conduct that experiment to go, oh, I know movement more now than I did before. I love it. Uh, And it's not a back to school body. (laughs) It's back to body school. No, to get a to get a back to school body, you would just have to go back to school. And got it. No one's no one's got time for that. No, certainly not. Uh, especially not you. You are heading for some libraries in Washington State this month as well. Yes, I'm going to two Pacific Northwest libraries. I'll be in Friday Harbor, September 13th at I believe seven o'clock. You can check our website to see the exact time to talk movement matters, nice. which is going to be awesome. And then I will be. In my hometown of Squim, Washington, talking dynamic aging on September 18th. And those are just free to attend. Come and let me talk about these books and discuss them with you. And you're welcome to those events, everybody. Awesome. Everybody, everybody, everybody come, come on, down. Come on. Exactly. Come on down to Washington State. The library is infinite. Well, the library is infinite in its metaphorical state. I wonder if I could do a Facebook Live of those. I've never done a Facebook Live. Yeah, I bet you could if there's a strong internet connection and the mm. will to succeed. <laughs> That's all you need for the, <laughs> for the internet things, to work. Katie Bowman? <laughs> Facebook just requires the will to succeed. Yes, so perfect. Yeah, that lines up with your experience of it, I'm mm-hmm, sure. Mm-hmm. As for you and me in this series, when next we meet, we're going to get up close and personal with diastasis recti. Great. Yeah, I love it. I love it. I love it. Well, are we ending Hashtag. now? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it's time for you to whisper. (laughs) Hashtag keep it together. I love it. That is Between the Lines on the Katie Says Podcast. I'm Stephanie Domet. You can find Katie Bowman at nutritiousmovement.com where you can browse her books and videos. There are all kinds of treats and snacks for you there. You can also sign up for Katie's newsletter there too. I'm Stephanie Domet. Thanks for listening. you find the general information in this podcast informative and helpful, but it is not intended to replace medical advice and should not be used as such.